everybody. It is another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on a Tuesday night. November, <clears throat> excuse me, November 7th, 2017. Kicking off the show, the specials with Dawning of a New Era. And I actually had thought about that song uh, last week as, uh, as a potential opener for this week's show. Coming on the heels of the Lions' victory last night over the Packers on Monday Night Football. Um, and uh, I should uh, point out, by the way, for the, uh, the uninitiated, for those out there who may be a first-time listener, uh, Jamal Hayden, Jamal about sports, I am a massive Lions fan, for those of you that don't know. And that's why you will always, during the football season, find me discussing, probably at the top of every show, the previous week's Lions games, as well as games around the NFL. Also a big Knicks fan and a big Mets fan and a University of Maryland, because that is my alma mater, sports fan from a football and college, college football and college basketball standpoint. So anyway, just wanted to level set there for any potential news time, uh, first time listeners. So I thought uh, that that would be a fitting song to kick off the show with because in lieu of the fact that, or in light of the fact, I should say rather, that the Lions beat Green Bay and Green Bay, which they did. Now, no Aaron Rodgers. So uh, if you want to put an asterisk next to that, by all means, go right ahead. We also saw in 2011 that the Lions lost in uh, Lambeau to the likes of Matt Flynn and made that guy's career, basically, and he's had no career pretty much since. Got a big contract from uh, the Seahawks, bounced around the league after that, and has been out of football, I think, for the last two or three years and really never did anything that approached that that game that he had um, back in January Maybe it was late December, rather, of uh, the 2011 season. In any event, we'll get to last night's game. We'll talk about the rest of uh, Week 9 in the NFL. We'll also go through some college football. Uh, the Big Ten in serious trouble as it uh, relates to uh, their ability to put a team into the uh, Final Four, if you will, the college football playoff. And some NBA. We said we would talk some NBA last week. We never got to it. We will definitely talk about the Knicks this week. But we start with the Lions. And listen, uh, last night's game was essentially a must win. I know it's hard to say that uh, for the eighth game of the year. But uh, at sitting there at three and four with the Vikings at five and two, uh, the Lions needed to win that game. No Aaron Rodgers. I don't care if it was in Lambeau. I don't care if it was on the moon. Lions needed to win that game. And they did. They went in there and took care of business. Game was really never in doubt. Uh, Lions uh, got lucky. Well, I don't want to say they got lucky. Green Bay got took. First of all, Green Bay idiotically they won the toss and then ridiculously decided to receive with the backup quarterback, which is dumb. I mean, listen. My rule of thumb: you win the toss, you defer. Plain and simple. You always want to start the third quarter with the ball. Always. You see, and by the way, all the good teams do that. All the well-coached teams do it. And almost every team in college, be it a good or a well-coached team or not, they almost always defer. Always. So the Packers helped the Lions out to start there. Mike McCarthy, head coach of the Packers. Um, and it's amazing how he doesn't look so smart when Aaron Rodgers doesn't play. But in any event, uh, so Packers moved the ball fine, actually, on their first drive. Stalled out on third down. Went to kick a field goal, bad snap. Sean Robinson, D-lineman from the Lions, gets his hand up, blocks the ball, and the Lions are on their way. Took their first possession down for a touchdown. By the way, first time this year, the Lions have scored a touchdown on their opening possession 
of a game. Should have had one against Carolina. Ebron dropped one in the end zone, forced to kick a field goal. We all know about that. Um, and so the lines kind of really rolled from there. Uh, great play by my man Glover Quinn. I've been talking about the fact that the Lions have very few real difference makers and playmakers, I've, except with Glover Quinn being one of the few exceptions. He showed up again last night with a huge tackle for a loss on fourth down when the game was still uh, somewhat close. Uh, Marvin Jones, after I pretty much have ba- I mean, I think I should just keep on bashing guys. And I wasn't bashing him, but criticizing guys. Because, boy, has he really stepped up since a couple of weeks ago. I mean, yes, he kind of had that ball slip through his hands against the Steelers two weeks ago. But he sure didn't last night. Two great catches in the end zone for touchdowns. And not to oversimplify things, but that's the difference. I mean, that's the difference between beating the Steelers and losing the Steelers. Marvin Jones catches that same type of pass contested. Tough catch, no, no doubt, to be sure. He didn't do it against the Steelers. He got it done twice last night against the Packers. That's how you win those games. You know, Golden Tate had a great game again last night. He was on his way to a great game against the Steelers, too, until he inexplicably fumbled the ball when nobody tackled him. He didn't do that last night. And the Lions tried to get the Packers back in the game with the Abdullah fumble, although the first one uh, I thought was ridiculous. It seemed like his forward progress was stopped for about an hour. And you know shoe on the other foot. No way the refs say that his forward progress wasn't stopped and give the ball back to the Lions. But the Lions' defense held there. Now that hurt because the Lions at the time, because the Lions were already in scoring position. And then the one down on the goal line, listen, you can't have it. I understand it. He's fighting for extra yards. He's trying to extend the ball out over the goal line. But he's at the two-yard line. You can't do that there. And you can tell it's in the Lions players' heads now, their struggles you know, in goal line offense. And if they're going to be good teams, they're going to have to get that straightened out. And honestly, to me, the answer is stop trying to you know, jam a square peg in a round hole. You're a throwing team, throw the ball. I don't care if you're at the one-yard line. You can't run it in. The only other option is to give this undrafted rookie free agent, Teon Green, a shot who is you know, sort of a battering ram type runner. He's not the biggest guy at 230 pounds, but he's only six feet tall. And he showed a penchant for some short yardage ability in the preseason. That would be it. Other than that, listen, could we get a little creative? Could you, could, I mean, I understand they scored on a quick pitch and they happened to catch the Packers in the exact perfect defense. The Packers brought an inside blitz. And the Lions ran a quick pitch to the outside. So basically, Abdullah walked in. They didn't really have to block anybody. But, uh, I mean, listen, Eric Ebron, I'm not a huge fan. But he is 6'5". Could you split him out wide and maybe let him try to one-on-one go up for a ball? I mean, Marvin Jones has showed, obviously, the last couple of weeks an ability to go up and get a ball in the end zone. That's your only chance right now. And the other nitpick I have with last night's game is Jim Caldwell, the head coach, and Jim Bob Cooter, the offensive coordinator, it's almost as if they call the game like they don't know what they have in Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford was carving up the Packers last night, carving them up. He was 14 for 16 to start the game. He was placing the balls perfectly to his receivers. He was in the zone, as they say. 
And yet, when the Lions had a chance to go for the knockout blow after the Glover Quinn stop on fourth down, what do they do? They're, they're on the other side of the 50, right? Sudden change, lots of teams, aggressive teams go for the big shot there. What are the lines do they run the ball in the middle line of scrimmage for no gain? I mean, anytime the Lions have a lead, Caldwell, it's, it's, it's if, and I mean, there was still plenty of time left in the game. And it's like he wants to take the air out of the ball. It's, again, it's if they don't recognize what they have. Now, I, again, there are games when he's off. I get it. But what, last night was certainly not one of them. Last night's one of the best games he's played as a Lion in nine years. The numbers were fairly gaudy, 360 yards, two touchdowns. He's had other games that were statistically better. That game against the Cowboys comes to mind where Calvin had like 280 yards receiving. And they scored a touchdown with about 30 seconds left. They went about the length of the field and Stafford did the fake spike and then, you know, dove over the goal line for the touchdown. But last night was a phenomenal game when the Lions absolutely had to have it. So now they're 4-4. Four and four. They have the Browns at home this week. Look, every game scares me with the Lions. I'd be a fool to ever be overconfident with this team after 40 years of rooting for the Lions. I mean, moron. You'd think this is a game they should be able to get, though. But it scares me. Look, Browns' defense is good. They've got three good young pass rushers in the rookie, Miles Garrett, and two second-year guys, Emmanuel Ogba and uh, Carl Nassib. Although the Lions offensive line, by the way, the last two weeks, since Greg Robinson went out at left tackle, and there's Brian Mahalik, who they signed from Pittsburgh, has come in. Three sacks total in the last two games. And yesterday's sack was a coverage sack off a flea flicker that was slow to develop. But, look, the Browns' defense plays physical. I've, I've watched parts of almost of several of their games this year. Their defense is physical. It plays hard. And their offense, while statistically miserable, has moved the ball at times they shoot themselves in the foot. I think they had three turnovers in the red zone against the Jets earlier in the year when the Jets barely eked out a win over them 17-14. They're not going 0-16. Only the Lions could do that. We know this. They're going to win a game somewhere. It better not be this Sunday in Detroit. I mean, look. These games always scare me. This coming on a short week, especially after coming off the on the heels of an emotional in division on the road win on Monday night. There's always a lots of times there's a tendency for the team that won that game to be a little flat, and you're playing a team with a zero in the win column. I don't care. Win ten nine. Win seven six. Win 42-41. I don't care. Figure out a way to beat the damn Browns at home. Because if you look at the Lions' schedule now moving forward, on paper, and I know, I get it. Because a lot can happen between now and then. But, as currently constituted, the record, the cumulative record of the teams that the Lions play from here on in, I believe, is something like 12-30-something. 
They've got the Browns at home this week. They're at the Bears the next week. Now, again, I know the Bears are supposedly a bad team. Still division foe on the road. No gimme. Then they've got the Vikings at home on Thanksgiving. Lines squeaked out a win in Minnesota already earlier this year. They squeaked out two wins against them last year. One on Thanksgiving when Darius Slay had the big pick at the end of the game to set up the game-winning field goal. That game's not going to be any picnic. Then it's, I believe, Baltimore and Tampa Bay, both on the road, but both of those teams have losing records right now. Tampa Bay's 2-6, and six, Baltimore's 4-5. and five. Baltimore's offense has struggled all year long. Flacco has, is having a terrible year for the Ravens. Eight touchdowns against 10 interceptions. And then they've got the Bears at home again. They're at the Bengals, who aren't having a great year. They're under 500 right now. And they close out at home against Green Bay, which will most likely again be without Aaron Rodgers. So it's all right there in front of them. But my concern is this. If they're going to continue to call plays in this passive, play-not-to-lose manner every time they get a lead, that won't work against good teams. So whether or not one of these teams that they are scheduled to play that right now doesn't have a good record but might go on a roll and by the time the Lions catch them, like the Bengals, for instance. You know, right now the Bengals don't look very good, but in six weeks the Bengals could be on a roll and playing much better. So that's why I don't get into all of this, what the cumulative record stuff is. You throw that stuff out the window. Let me see what they're doing the week we play them. We, by the way. Um... So that stuff doesn't, you know, you, you can't, you get too caught up in looking six weeks ahead. That, that's crazy. Just concentrate on your opponent this week. So my point is that, be it against one of these teams that will probably be playing better by the time the Lions get to them, or if the Lions do make the playoffs, Ostensibly, you're going to be playing a good team in the playoffs. This this nonsense, this Caldwell, Jim Bob Cooter garbage ain't going to cut it. And it's infuriating. This is not Alex Smith of 2010 where you have to keep the kid gloves on and try to protect him. Okay? And it's not like the Lions have some phenomenal defense. It's not bad. But this is not the 85 Bears defense where you basically have to score 14, 17 points a game and you're going to win. No, no. Lions give up their fair share of big plays. Their pass rush is very spotty. And again, you've got one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Use him. All right, speaking of which, I mean, I know I should be over it by now, but that loss to Carolina is still sticking in my craw. As I watched the Carolina-Atlanta game this Sunday, or a a good portion of it, and, you know, Carolina squeaked out a win at home against a division opponent. Um, They got dumb lucky. Matt Ryan had Julio Jones wide open on a third down for about a 50-yard bomb that would have given the Falcons a lead. He dropped the ball. Inexplicable. One of the best receivers in football. No one within... I mean, that's... If that were Eric Ebron, I I mean, my head might have exploded. (laughs) It was that bad. And Julio Jones, to his credit, look, the guy's... He was clearly hurt. He's been banged up all year. He's gutting it out. Didn't use it as an excuse. 
didn't say he lost it in the sun or anything. He just said, look, I, I just screwed up. It's a perfect throw. I got to catch it. I didn't. But, I mean, I watched the game. Cam Newton, another stink job by Cam Newton. Yeah, again. I mean, he ran the ball effectively. He scored a rushing touchdown. His throw, he couldn't throw effectively at all. They just traded his best receiver and his favorite receiver, Calvin Benjamin, the week before to the Bills, which was a strange move. They got McCaffrey involved a little bit more in the offense. He had a decent day running. Jonathan Stewart had two fumbles. Panthers running back, which is rare. That's not really a, that's not Jonathan Stewart at all. But the Falcons have just been out of sorts all year. They're lucky to be four and four. We've talked about it all season. They could have lost the Lions. Could have lost to the Bears. There's a third win in there somewhere that oh, then in the Jets they could have lost that game to the Jets easily too. So they're lucky to be four and four. But I think if you're a Falcons fan, you have to say well. We played horribly, but we're still four and four. And if we could just put it all together and get hot, we've got a fighting chance. I mean, because look, they're they're basically trying out the same team they had last year that made the Super Bowl and should have won the Super Bowl. I mean, I know Jones has been banged up, but he's played. Freeman's played. Coleman's played. Ryan's played every game. They got uh, Trufant back in the secondary, the good corner. So, anyway, Carolina inexplicably 6-3, and three, one of the worst. I mean, look, their defense is good. I, I, will, I will give them that. Their defense is pretty good. Really good front seven, right? Keekley and Thomas Davis, two of my favorite linebackers in the league. Kawan Short, one of the best D tackles in the league. Charles Johnson, DN, still a good player. Julius Peppers, who came back for a second tour of duty with them, is still inexplicably getting it done at like age 37 as a situational pass rusher. I mean, they're, it's a good front seven. Secondary is okay. It's not great. Okay. But the team right now is the Phillies. Phillies, the Eagles, 8-1. and one. Carson Wentz leading the league in touchdown passes. Put up 51 points this past week. Against Denver, who is in free fall mode. Again, I believe somebody I know <laughs> said very early in the season, I think Denver's in for a rough year. They already made a quarterback change. They've gone back to Brock Osweiler, who kind of bailed them out a few years ago, turned to five and three. I think he went what he went five and two in relief of Manning when Manning was hurt before they made the Super Bowl and parlayed that into a big contract for the Texans, where he was horrible. Then got traded to the Browns. The Browns didn't want anything to do with them. Denver signed him back because Paxton Lynch was hurt. Trevor Simeon had been playing so poorly. They finally went to Osweiler. He did nothing this week. Denver is uh, in a deep spiral right now. So you take the Philly game with a little bit of a grain of salt, but anytime you put up 50 points on somebody, you're having a pretty good day. An old friend, Jim Schwartz, the D- coordinator for Philly. For Philly. Yeah, for Philly. That defense is playing well. Strangest game of the day was Washington-Seattle. I mean, give listen, I can't stand the Redskins. I mean, from their owner to their coach, who if his name last name wasn't Gruden, would probably be, you know, uh, at best an offense coordinator in the league to their annoying quarterback who thinks the whole world's against them who just won't shut up 
Um, I mean, again, you know, he, he listen, give him credit. He drove the Redskins down and, you know, whatever. It was like 40 seconds left. I think one timeout. Hit a deep pass to Josh Dotson, who finally showed up for the Redskins. Former first-round pick out of TCU. Big, t- big wide receiver. Score the go-ahead touchdown. You know, Kirk Cousins' bugaboo has been late in games in fourth quarters, right? He, he Again, what do I always say about Kirk Cousins? He's just good enough to get you beat. They'll put up big numbers. He has games where the Redskins win, where he looks phenomenal. He throws a pretty deep ball. But, again, I'll go back to that game last year against the Giants, who had nothing to play for. And in the fourth quarter, when he had a chance to win that game, when the Redskins desperately needed to win that game to get in the playoffs, he threw two interceptions in the fourth quarter. And his passer rating in the fourth quarter, late in games, I think, under two minutes or less, has been very bad. And then, of course, he's I don't care what anybody says. I know how good I am. I mean, just, you know what? Just take yes for an answer, Kirk. Okay, you, had, you finally had a good clutch drive late in the game. Zip, just zip it. But that was a weird game because the Redskins were extremely banged up on both lines. Missing a couple of starters on the O-line. I mean, crying out loud, they're playing TJ Clemmings at left tackle. He was a bust right tackle from with the Vikings a couple of years ago. And Seattle's offensive line isn't any good. I know they just traded for Dwayne Brown. He was okay, the left tackle from formerly of the Texans, but their def- their offensive line has been bad all year too. They haven't had much of a running game. Wilson's had a great year for them, despite the fact that they have no running game uh, and the offensive line has not played well. He's running for his life half the time back there, but he's super mobile and he's impossible to sack half the time. Boy, he drives you nuts if you're the other team or if you're a fan of the other team. And so Seattle lost that game. Redskins are 4-4. Four four. But Blair Walsh missed three field goals in a game that they lost 17-14. So, I mean, yes, give credit to the Redskins. Uh, Seattle should have won that game. All, all the kicks were less than 50 yards. I'm sorry, in today's NFL, if you're a field goal kicker and you're not almost automatic between 40 and 50 yards, 40 and 49 yards, you, you can't kick in a league. You can't. Guys are too good. And Seattle and Everall Thomas. Huge, huge loss for them, too. But you give the Redskins credit. So, listen, we're halfway home. Some teams have played nine games. Most teams, a lot of teams have played eight. So we're, we're just a little bit past halfway home. Still a lot of football left. Right now, I think the only path for the Lions, or the most logical path for the Lions, is going to be to win the division. Now, Vikings are going to have something to say about that. They're 5-2, and two, but the Vikings were also, I believe, 5-0 and oh last year. Now, I understand injuries played a big part in the fact that they tailed off significantly the second half of the year. But, again, Lions have beaten them once already. They get, they get them at home on Thanksgiving again. Vikings have, I believe the Vikings play the Redskins this week. Vikings have a tough schedule. If ever was a time for the Lions to win the division with Aaron Rodgers being out and Stafford playing at this level, now would be the time. All right, we'll take a short break and we'll be back. Some college football right after this.
are back here on another edition of Jamal About Sports, Tuesday night edition. That, of course, the funk classic Daz by Brick. Before we get to college football, you know, I got to give the Jets a little love here. We never, ever, or very rarely talk about the Jets on the show. Uh, You know, look, they had that horrible loss to the Dolphins a few weeks ago where they blew a two-touchdown lead late in the fourth quarter. But they came back and beat the Bills, who were 5-2 and at the time, division opponent, beat them pretty handily, too, on Thursday night last week. Listen, give the Jets credit. Give Todd Bowles credit. That team is playing its ass off week in and week out. They play hard. Don't always play smart. Make some mistakes. They're not the most talented team in the league, but they play hard. And they're a little more talented than people give them credit for. This Robbie Anderson, the wide receiver, is a pretty good player. Their old line has played much better than I thought it would. Listen, I'm still never going to be a Josh McCown guy. Again, he's another one of these guys that plays just good, just well enough to get you beat. And we saw that in that Dolphins game with that horrendous interception in the fourth quarter. But again, for a team that everybody wrote off and said that you know was going to flirt with being 0 16. And was going to suck for Sam, Sam being Sam Darnold, the quarterback for USC. They're four and five. Give them credit. Now their schedule the rest of the way looks to be a bit of a challenge. But listen, if the Jets go six and ten, I think it's a successful year because they've uncovered some pieces that you think are part of their core going forward. Right, this Jordan Jenkins, the line outside linebacker. Obviously, we know about Leonard Williams. Wilkerson has played well recently. Darren Lee has played better, although I, I still think he's way too skinny to hold up as an inside linebacker, even in a three-four. But you see why teams like him. He's got a lot of speed, and when he just sees it and goes, he can go make plays. But if you get a body on him, it's it's over. I mean, the guy, I think he's barely, I don't even know if he's 220 pounds. But you got to love the young safety tandem with May and me, Adams. You know, Elijah McGuire, the running back, had some had some moments. Hasn't been great, but he's, he's flashed some potential. Jets seem to have resurrected Austin Safarian Jenkins, a troubled tight end who was always a big-time talent. Seems to have resurrected his career. Seems to have finally gotten his head uh, screwed on straight. So there's some pieces there. There's some stuff to work with. So it's not the would not be the worst thing in the world for the Jets to go about six and ten and get a top 10, 12 pick. See what unfolds in the in free agency. Maybe you take a run at a Kirk Cousins. I think if you're a Jets fan, you, you, you have there's certainly reason for optimism there. Now the Giants, on the other hand, ay ay ay, that, my friends, was a performance unlike you know the likes of which we haven't seen since like the mid to late seventies, when I was barely paying attention to football. Those bad, those old bad giant helmets with the N. Wait, what did it say? Giants on the side. Uh, you know those bad jerseys. Yeah, 
uh, Scott Bruner. I mean, it, it was Pasarchik. I mean, it was it was ugly. It was ugly. And I know the Rams are the, the new it girl. By the way, I'm sorry. What happened to Tampa Bay? Everybody loved Tampa Bay. Oh, Jameis Winston was going to be great. We saw his little punk move the other day where he stuck his finger in a guy's face mask when he was when he was already out of the game with an injury and he's standing on the sidelines against the Saints. But, oh, Jameis Winston's going to be great and they got Deshaun Jackson. He's going to be exactly what they need to take the top off the defense. And with Mike Evans, a big stud. Mike Evans hasn't done a thing this year. Jameis Winston hasn't done anything. Deshaun Jackson, the classic one-trick pony, hasn't done anything. They're two and six. Everybody loved them. Anyway, I digress. Uh, the Rams are now the new it girl this year. And listen, their offense, it's amazing the difference between last year and this year. And you have to give their head coach, Sean McVay, credit at 31 years old. I mean, Josh, uh, Jared Goff, rather, looked so bad last year in, the, in limited action. But, you know, I wasn't that high on him coming out of college anyway. But, boy, he looked miserable last year. The head coach hated him. Jeff Fisher didn't even want him on the team, which, you know, never a good look when the head coach doesn't really like your, your quarterback slash number one overall pick. Kind of tough to succeed in that environment, I would think. So McVay came in, and by the way, good job hiring this guy because he's known to be an offensive guru and has completely turned his kid's career around so far. Now it's early, right? We're halfway through the year. Teams will start to catch up a little bit, I I suspect. But all you had to know about the Giant game is, well, two things. One, they gave up 50 points. The other was they gave up a touchdown on third and 33, they let the great Robert Woods, possession receiver extraordinaire, take a short screen and go 52 yards for a touchdown. That's all you need to know. All right, moving on. Big weekend in college football. Lots of stuff happened. Uh, the first, probably the two biggest uh, games with implications, I guess, would be Ohio State losing and losing badly. At Iowa now, I didn't think that game was going to be easy for Ohio State. That's what Iowa does. What Iowa does, right? I've always talked about Iowa on this show. I've long been an admirer of that program and their head coach Kirk Ferentz. They put about you know what five to eight guys in the pros. It seems like almost every year, never huge stars, but always solid pros. Be they offensive linemen or D backs, right? They upset Michigan last year. They took Penn State down to the wire this year. And, you know, if it wasn't for basically a throw that somehow miraculously eluded the fingertips of an Iowa defensive player, they would have beaten Penn State already this year. And they put it on Ohio State. Now, I thought that was going to be a hard game for Ohio State because they just come off the emotional win over Penn State. And again, Kinnick Stadium, Iowa, is not an easy place to play. So I, I wouldn't I was I was not surprised that Iowa won. I was surprised that they put up fifty five points on Ohio State. So Ohio State, I'm sorry to say, adios, you're out. Two losses, goodbye. You're done. No playoff for you. Same could be said for Penn State. And by the way, Michigan State does what Michigan State does. I understand they had the the outlier bad year last year and went three and nine. 
But look what they've done other than last year under Mark D'Antoni. Always a good year for them. Always. And they will always upset somebody and beat a team that they are not supposed to beat or are underdogs to at home. And they did it again last week against Penn State. So now Penn State has two losses. Adios, you're out too. Goodbye. No playoff for you. Georgia held serve with a solid, if not spectacular, victory over a decent South Carolina team. The encouraging thing there was from the freshman quarterback, threw the ball a little bit and looked good doing it. Although, again, Georgia's bread and butter is going to be running the ball. Now, is that going to be good enough to beat Auburn this week? Which is the game of the week, by the way, Auburn-Georgia. And Auburn's going to have a lot to say about the national championship picture because they play Georgia and they play Alabama. Alabama, same thing, held serve with a solid, if not spectacular, victory over LSU. So, right now, look, I don't understand Wisconsin's undefeated. Um, they played no one. I'm sorry. They have not played anybody. They're not one of the four best teams in the country. They're just not. Oklahoma with another whoopee ball game against Oklahoma State, 62-52. Or whatever the hell that game was. Yeah, it was, 60, it was 55-52. Oklahoma got the ball back and scored a garbage time touchdown late that they didn't even need. But whatever. As we know, except for TCU, nobody in the Big 12 plays any defense. But now TCU plays Oklahoma. That's the other game of the week this week. Lots Big games this week. Georgia-Auburn, Oklahoma-TCU, Notre Dame-Miami. Miami undefeated. Hasn't played anybody really all that good. Notre Dame only lost one point to Georgia. Now, Notre Dame's other wins so far. Eh, okay. They beat Virginia Tech. Uh, no, sorry. Miami beat Virginia Tech. Notre Dame beat NC State two weeks ago. NC State's a decent team. They're not great. They're decent. They beat up on Wake Forest. I mean, Notre Dame basically is doing their cute little thing where they're an independent, but now they play an ACC-ish schedule. So they played mighty Wake Forest this past week and won. Good good for you. We were all very impressed. Now, they did beat up on USC. This is not a great USC team. It's okay. It's decent. It's a solid win. It's a quality win. This is not a great USC team. I watched a lot of USC against Arizona, the late night game on Saturday night. USC shoots themselves in the foot more than any team I've ever seen. I mean, the amount of penalties that they commit is mind-boggling. Now, they've got a great running back. And Darnold, while he's he's been inconsistent this year, but when he's hot and in his own, he's as good as any quarterback in the country. But so right now, as it stands, you got to think Georgia's not going to move down. And if they do, they're going to go from one to two. It's not a big deal. And then maybe you put Alabama back at one, but whatever. Georgia, Alabama, one and two, take your pick. I would say probably Notre Dame would be three. And maybe Clemson gets back in there at four. They had a good win this past week. Who'd Clemson beat? Oh, they beat NC State. I mean, not a great win. It's a good win. Maybe you want to pop Oklahoma in there? Iowa State lost at West Virginia, so now that, that Oklahoma lost to Iowa State, it's going to look worse. 
Although, going into Morgantown is never an easy task either. So that that outcome did not surprise me at all. I mean, I, I you know, as, as a Maryland alum, and we used to play West Virginia every year, you know, going to Morgantown's no picnic. So not a huge shock there. So it'll be interesting. Be interesting to see what happens. Big games this week. Georgia-Auburn, 3.30 CBS, I believe. Hold on, let's go to the schedule. I'm just, I'm assuming that that would be the case, but I could be wrong. So let's take a look, shall we? Got to make sure I turn off the volume on the on the computer so that we don't get bombarded with some terrible Geico commercial. All right, let's see. Well, we've got Michigan State, Ohio State. I mean, Michigan State, I think, only has one loss. No, maybe they have two. All right, that I mean, that's it's 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 a watchable game, but it doesn't have any national championship implications. The game with the national championship implications, yes. Georgia Auburn at three thirty. At Auburn, Jordan Hare. It's going to be a tough one. Clemson at home against Florida State. Florida State's having a miserable year. Iowa at Wisconsin. That's a big game because Wisconsin's undefeated right now. So a lot of people are saying if Wisconsin runs the table and then wins the Big Ten Championship, they're in. I don't think that that's necessarily the case. I really don't. Particularly if, if Penn State loses another game and if Ohio State were to lose another game, I mean, where where's the cachet with the Big Ten this year? Your two, your supposedly your two best teams have three losses. Michigan's already already has two, and we know the back half of the Big Ten is uh, is dreck, including unfortunately my alma mater. I mean, it's Maryland, Indiana, Rutgers, Illinois, Purdue, Minnesota. By the way, Minnesota, hey, hey, PJ Fleck, how's your row the boat slogan going over there? I think you guys are just one good coxswain away from uh, being a, a quality program. Dope. Anyway, um, so the back bet half of the, of the Big Ten is terrible. Nebraska is awful these days. I mean, they, look, the Big Ten, you've got Iowa, Michigan State, Ohio State, Michigan and Penn State and Wisconsin. That's it. But Michigan, this is not a vintage Michigan team this year. And Ohio State and Penn State already have two losses. So I could see a scenario where Wisconsin could go the season undefeated. I don't think they will. Not I don't think. They will not. But even if they were to go through the season undefeated and win the Big Ten Championship game, I could still, yes, see them not getting into the national championship. And I would have no problem with that, by the way. None. Schedule matters. And the eye test matters. I've seen Wisconsin play. They're a nice team. They're Wisconsin. They run the ball great. They can throw it a little bit better this year with Hornybrook. Not much. Fumagalli, the tight end, is a nice player. You know, he's in the Owen Daniels mode. Right, and they play good defense. I mean, that's that's Wisconsin every year. Notre Dame, Miami, big game at the U. That's the eight o'clock game on ABC Saturday night, and then TCU, Oklahoma, eight o'clock game on Fox. Huge game. So good slate of games this weekend. 
Kind of stinks that you have both those games on at 8, although I will watch the Oklahoma TCU game over Notre Dame-Miami. I don't think Miami's that good. I know they're, they're, they're 10th. They're undefeated. I don't think they're that good. And plus, I don't like either team, so there's really a no-win situation for me there. Oklahoma TCU will be the watch. I'll flip to the other game during the commercials. And I will be all over my Georgia Bulldogs and the Auburn Tigers at 3.30 on Saturday. Supposed to be kind of a chilly day here in New York. It's perfect. Perfect. This is some life I lead, huh? (laughs) It's Tuesday, and I am already planning a full day of football watching on Saturday. Of course, it'll be followed by the same thing on Sunday. I'll watch the Lions at 1. I'll have Red Zone on at 4. Then I will probably watch the Sunday night game as well. It's a good, well-rounded life I lead, isn't it? It's shocking that I am single. All right, moving on. NBA, listen. The Knicks, I watched the game the other night, and I must have texted with about five of my Knicks fans' friends. And this is the first time, and I can't even say how many years, where... There's been this kind of optimism and hope surrounding the Knicks. Now, I get it. It's only nine games in. They're 5-4. and four. Started 0-3, so they're 5-1 and one in the last six. Nine games in, Porzingis has scored 30 points in seven of the nine games. One other game, he scored like 23. He had a stinker against the Celtics. Okay. Celtics, by the way, off to a great start nine games in a row. And that's despite losing Gordon Hayward to that gruesome leg injury in the opening night uh, game. But the Knicks are actually fun to watch. So I put the game on Sunday night. They had a nice win Friday night against Phoenix. You know, look, Phoenix isn't very good, but Knicks were blowing them out. Phoenix made a little bit of of a run. Knicks weathered the storm, ended up blowing them out anyway. You love to see it. I mean, you know, given what's gone on with the Knicks, with Phil Jackson and Carmelo and the the endless soap opera and the horrendous play and all the nonsense that's gone on in the last, I I mean, it's really been almost 20 years, except for a couple outlier seasons when Mike Woodson was the coach when they made the playoffs four years ago against, you know, and lost in the second round of the Pacers. That is a big highlight during the Carmelo era. Um, this is one of the most fun Knicks games to watch Sunday night against the Pacers I can't even remember when so they go down 16 and they look horrible now part of it was the Pacers were making everything I mean they were making every shot under the sun some of it was bad defense by the Knicks but some of it was not that bad a defense the Pacers were just making everything including every three they threw up And then Porzingis went on a stretch where he scored 15 points in a row for the Knicks. They kept whittling away, whittling away. And then I'll give Jeff Hornacek credit. He put in Nilekina, Frank Nilekina, 19-year-old French rookie point guard, who, to be fair, I did not was not happy when the Knicks drafted him. I wanted them to draft Dennis Smith Jr., kid from NC State, or Malik Monk from Kentucky. Because these are the guys I've seen play. Nobody's seen a 19-year-old from Europe in the French League and even over there, they play about, you know, maybe 20 minutes a game. But he's 6'5", with long arms. He's got active hands, quick hands. 
And look, he had struggled. He had shown a couple of moments here and there. But, you know, he had not looked great. I will say this. His shooting form is good. He has a good form on his jumper. Well, he came in. Kurt Thomas came in. They put him on Victor Oladipo, who was killing the Knicks. Kurt Thomas. I mean, Kurt Thomas. Lance Thomas. Jeez, boy. I, I am getting more and more like my dad every day. Love you, Pops. Anyway. Um, Lance Thomas completely shut down Oladipo. Nicolina started making things hard on Darren Collison. Porzingis went on a tear. Ennis Cantor, my guy. Anybody's ever listened to my show, and particularly last year's NBA shows, know Ennis, Ennis Cantor, formerly of OKC, is my guy. I was thrilled when the Knicks got him back for Carmelo. Thrilled. I get it. He's not a defensive stalwart. I don't care. He's a double-double machine and he gets tons of offensive rebounds. He had 18 rebounds in that game against the Pacers Sunday night. I think seven or eight on the offensive glass. And he's a great low post scorer to boot. And he cares. And he plays his ass off. Sorry he's not Bill Russell on defense. You know, at least he does two out of three things really well. You can work with that. So Cantor crashing the boards. Porzingis in his zone. Getting every, doing everything. And then Hardaway showed up after one for seven from three, but made three big buckets in the fourth quarter. And then Nilakina made two huge threes in the fourth quarter. One to cut it to one and one to give the Knicks a lead. In between, he missed the three. But the biggest and most telling play in that game against the Pacers Sunday night was when Porzingis, who was on a roll, right? He ended up, by the way, final stat line for the game Sunday night, 40 points on like 15 for 23 from the field. Only two three-pointers, two for four, by the way. Love that he's only taking four three-pointers. Last year, he, you know, he would jack up eight a game sometimes. Right? He's get, doing a lot of his damage in the mid-range game. Eight rebounds, six blocked shots. Tremendous. But the turning point and the key play of that game was Porzingis gets the ball about 20 feet from the basket. Indiana runs a double team at him. Now, he's 7-3. He can shoot over double teams. He can shoot over almost any player on the court, particularly guys that are going to be guarding him out on the perimeter. Instead of forcing up a shot or trying to force his way to the basket, which, by the way, that's exactly what Carmelo Anthony would have done in that situation. Because he And his explanation after the game, and he would have taken a terrible shot, and he would have missed it, and it would let all the air out of the building. And then his explanation after the game would have been, oh, I got a good look. I was feeling it, even though it wasn't a good look. What did Porzingis do? He calmly turned, fired a perfect pass to a wide-open Nicolina behind the three-point line, didn't hesitate, squared up, stroked it, bottoms, puts in, put the Knicks ahead for good. That, to me... Maybe I'm making too much of one play. That, to me, says to me, this is different now. We all knew Carmelo leaving addition by subtraction. They actually got a good player back in Cantor. And Doug McDermott's okay. I mean, he can be useful. He's a streaky three-point shooter. He can help you win a game in a long season here or there. It's not the worst thing. But Cantor is legit starting center in the league. But that play signified a complete changing of the guard. And if this Nilakina, by the way, his, his final stat line wasn't great, but for a guy who came off the bench, 10 points, 7 assists, 
and killer defense down the stretch. And Hardaway, one for seven from three, but six for nine from two, and had three big fourth-quarter buckets. Look, Porzingis is 23, Nilekin is 19, Hardaway is 25, Cantor's 25. It's a nice young nucleus. Knicks are on tonight. I'm actually excited to watch a Nick game tonight. And look, I get it. Nilekin is going to have tons of ups and downs, probably. Probably more downs than ups this year. Probably. And Porzingis is not going to be able to maintain his pace. He's averaging 30 points a game through the first nine. So there's going to be a lot of bumps in the road, but at least there's a reason to be excited. It's kind of like the Jets, what I was saying about the Jets earlier. Jets have unearthed some pieces this year of a decent core moving forward. I think the Knicks have four. All right, that's it for tonight's show. As always, thanks for listening. Catch me on iTunes. Check me out on Twitter, at Jamal about Sport and OS. Also on Facebook. Enjoy the sports for the rest of the week. Again, big slate of college games this weekend. And we'll be back next Monday with a Football Monday show. Until then.